Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to The Rap Report with your host, Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretation and application. This is a ministry of striving for eternity and the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Welcome to The Rap Report. I'm your host, Andrew Rappaport, the President and Executive Director of Striving for Eternity, and the Christian podcast community, of which this podcast is a member. Check out all the great podcasts at christianpodcastcommunity.org. And we're going to be playing a episode of another podcast for you, one for you to check out, consider, especially for you ladies. This is a podcast called Thoroughly Equipped with Melissa Lex. And this is one where she will be interviewing and talking with Another Christian podcaster from the Christian podcast community from Grace and Peace Radio, Amy Russo. But they're going to talk about radical womanhood. Now, really, this is very interesting, and I'm going to end up having them on Apologetics Live to discuss this in more detail about how first, second, and third wave feminism has changed and how the third wave of feminism is actually undermining the first wave of feminism. Very interesting discussion, but it does have implications for what we see in culture today. So I hope you check this out, listen to this, and maybe check out Thoroughly Equipped. You can find it at christianpodcastcommunity.org. And now for Thoroughly Equipped Podcast. Welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women where we compare the popular women's ministry teachings, books, conferences, Bible studies, etc. to scripture. Our focus is 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I am your host, Melba Toast. May this episode bless you and bring glory to God. Hey ladies, and welcome to another episode of Thoroughly Equipped. So happy you could join me today. If you are new, welcome. So I've been sort of neglecting to ease Titus 2 time episodes. Usually before a book study review, I have an episode dedicated to Titus 2. It's specifically centered on being a godly woman. The last Titus 2 time was answering the question, what is a woman, biblically? The reason this has been neglected is because instead of a woman's ministry book or study review, we have been tackling a ministry, which has several facets to it and is much larger than a simple book or even a message. So before we dive into part four of our series looking at Jenny Allen's very popular woman's ministry, if... I want to do a Titus 2 time episode to make up for it. Now this one is a special one. Instead of just me continuing the topic of womanhood, I thought I'd bring in a co-host. So I want to welcome back Amy Russo from Grace and Peace Radio, another wonderful podcast you can find on Striving 
Striving for Eternity's Christian podcast community. I had a wonderful interview with her on TE's first episode of Season 2. I interviewed her because of her testimony of coming out of a feminist worldview to a biblical worldview. For this episode, we are diving more into the topic of feminism and biblical womanhood. But discussing this topic alongside a book both of us read and thought was very interesting. This Titus 2 time will be in two parts as we have a fun and thoughtful discussion on the book titled Radical Womanhood. Let's dive in. All right. All right um... So we have a special, special episode, and um, I have a co-host, which is Amy Russo from Grace and Peace Radio. Um, I've had you on before interviewing you about kind of this topic that we're going to be discussing, Mm -hmm. but we're going to actually get into a book that both of us read on Amy just kind of uh, uh, Facebook me going, did you read this book? And I was like, yes, I did. So we yeah, were I'm like, pretty passionate about the book, and it was yeah. nice that you're passionate about the book. So yeah, so we was like, let's do an episode, a co-host episode, and it falls right into my Titus two um, um, shows or parts a series because uh, uh, one I did was uh, the last one that I did was biblical womanhood. What is womanhood? Period. Just defining womanhood, and now we can actually talk about biblical womanhood and contrast that with uh feminism which again that's why i have you you on the show because you have a little knowledge and background in feminism so we're looking at uh the book is called radical womanhood feminine faith in a feminist world written by carolyn mcculley and um it's just we both highly recommend it but we're going to talk about it because it's such a cool topic to talk about. It really after. is. And yeah. this is my second go around with this book. I read it, a, I don't know, a few years ago. I lose track of time. Um, and it just struck me. It struck me as how she wrote it and, and obviously the topics and stuff that we will be talking about. But I love the fact it was written in 2008. Mm-hmm. Anthony and I were married in 2007. Um, you know, she was saved later in life, as was I. And it just, it just, struck me so yeah can we talk about uh, a little bit of that history uh not the author we don't have a whole lot of information Mm -hmm. about her but at least yeah she describes her kind of um uh fall away from feminism a little bit maybe we could talk about that a little bit hers yeah and then yours because you relate to it right well i really do because um she was saved it looks it sounds like from the book that she was saved at 30 Um, I was saved at 42. Mm -hmm. Um, She was single and continues to be single from what I've seen on the web. Uh, Career woman um, doing her thing. And as was I, I mean, I was Mm -hmm. single, uh, you know, not any marriage prospects or anything like that, even thought of it at the time that I was saved and had my career. And it was, uh, as she said, it was a huge adjustment thinking about facing and adjusting to biblical womanhood after being saved. And Mm. it was the same for me, Uh, you know, after years and years of having a certain way of thinking about marriage and women and careers and children and all of that. Wow. And, yeah. and actually, for me, it took a few years to really kind of get to not accepting biblical womanhood, but understanding it mm-hmm. on a biblical basis. So. Yeah. Wow. That's um, I, I 
feel like even though here's the other thing that you and I are kind of different. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. everybody's different, but you know what I mean? <laughs> I know what you, you mean. Yeah. You got married later on in life. Um, you do not have kids. Mm-hmm. I got married very early in life and then I had kids, <laughs> you know, and yet I still feel exactly the same as you. Well, maybe I wasn't like I had kind of an idea what biblical womanhood looked like growing mm-hmm. up in the church. I still had a feminist uh, school upbringing, right? So even certain things like um, submission, which we're going to talk about later, I struggled with. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah. And, and that's why I think this is really, um, well, you had mentioned that it was just really cool that both of us can have different, coming from different backgrounds and yet tackling the feminine uh, or the feminist issue for both mm-hmm. of us there's differences but similarities that are absolutely absolutely because right. it's well we're inundated with it and I, I think what really struck me with this book and she says it right in her either introduction or her first chapter of you know she was giving talks and she was running into young women that when she you know she was asking questions about what they knew as far as feminist history and this that and the other and they had absolutely no idea. Part of it just because of their age. Um, part of it's because they grew up in the church from a very young age and just that just wasn't in their sphere. Right. Uh, and yet because it was had such an impact on her growing up and it was part of her life. Mm-hmm. And I could see that that was part of my life. There was part of me that was just like, yes, every young woman needs to know that actually every woman needs to know that because we yeah. forget. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's a good segue into the first part of her book and looking at the um, kind of the history. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you actually studied some of the history in college, but you didn't get as detailed history, right? Or like some of the unknown background that she provides. In oh, book. yeah. I mean, the, the background and what we'll end up talking about is just even the hypocrisy of some of the main names um, within these different feminist waves. I was exposed to the feminism when I was taking literature classes Mm -hmm. uh, in college, initially as a minor, because I like to read. So I thought, hey, let's do this. And right from the get-go, the feminist ideology was, you know, put out there. we're going to talk about one of the the authors of uh, named Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was one of the first authors that I read taking a literature class. Uh, and then when I moved into a master's in English, you know, you're getting literary criticism and then there's a whole genre of feminist literary criticism. Yeah, wow. So that's when I got a little more steeped in it and hook, line and sinker. Yeah. Obviously not saved at that point right. in my life. Right. Um, so let's talk, let's talk about that then. Um, uh, why don't you tell me, because you, you know, I would ask you and I defer to you who, who knows a little bit more about the history more than I do um, about first wave feminism. First wave feminism. Well, it w- is how she does it is, <laughs> excuse me, how she does it is uh, pretty much dealing with the start of the country, you know, start of America as mm-hmm. um as a country. Uh, she mentions Abigail Adams, 
Mm-hmm. who was not a feminist. Um, she's, right. she's quick to say that. And I've actually read the, the uh, biography of John Adams by uh, McCullough. She was not a feminist by any stretch, but she fully believed in the fact that she felt that females should be made citizens. Mm-hmm. And so she admonished and encouraged her husband, John Adams, to keep that in mind when they were writing the Declaration of Independence um, right. And all of that. So you could say that it started there. Um, I would say it more started with the idea of women didn't have certain rights. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like many things, it, women's equality, as far as being treated as equal human beings to men, was legit. I mean, mm-hmm. it started for good reasons. Uh, right. It evolved into feminism. And really, some good has come out of it, but the long term consequences have been awful. Yeah. Uh, And what I liken it to when I do talk to people is I liken it to labor unions, which I'm sure there's some people who would get bent out of shape with me on this. But labor unions started out for good reasons. Mm -hmm. They were very, very necessary, critical changes that needed to be made um, during the Industrial Revolution. Right. Onward. But like everything else, it got out of hand. People got greedy. Uh, It it lost its its reason really for being around. Right. Uh, Right. So like, like that, um, you know, feminism has gone awry. So you got really 1848 uh, is what she talks about is, is really when the first wave started. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big names is Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Okay. Uh, that's a name you'll see somewhere in the literature. I know I've read um, Susan B. Anthony was in on that too. And mm-hmm. that might be familiar to some people on the dollar coins that you still right. see every once in a while uh, with Susan B. Anthony, but it was Seneca Falls. And the main two things that were brought up was the right to vote, felt mm-hmm. that women should have a right to vote, legit, okay, um, didn't happen until 1920. Yeah. And the other part that I thought was really interesting is what's called coverture, which means that the legal identity and existence of a woman, her legal identity disappeared once she got married. Yeah, right. And that's what they wanted to change. They didn't, they didn't want that to happen. It so it led... This- Legal ahead, identity. I was just wondering, it's not just a matter of legal like identity, but her what she the like, land and mm-hmm. property mm-hmm. Um, all passed to the husband. Right? Automatically. Automatically. Yep. She right. he had to make all the decisions on that. Mm-hmm. If she owned property prior to marriage, that was gone. Right. She she had no say in in what happened to that to that property. Right. Uh, unless she became a widow. And that's so like I said, legit, legit stuff that, that should have happened. It did lead to re- some reforms. Mm-hmm. Um, yet you have to look at the underside. And, and it, um, McCulley even says that it was a, a challenge to Christianity. Right. Stanton right. was an atheist. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and what was your take when you were reading this? What, what, was, what was your thought process? For me, when I was reading this, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that now. You know, just stuff I'd read. Mm-hmm. Um, how about for you? Oh, well, um, reading off the bat, not not understanding, you know, the history behind it, um, just right off the bat, I thought, well, it's just the same sin. I don't think it's a sin that hasn't been, uh, you know, the um, um, her challenge to Christianity uh, always dealt underlying was marriage. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it just seems to me like there is always the headship issue um, was a motivating factor behind it. Absolutely. Whether that was really I don't know, you know, um, 
Miss uh, Stanton's heart, but the comments that she made you know, mm-hmm. are pretty blatant that they were, uh, she wasn't happy with marriage. She felt, um, well, you say here to the, she, in your notes that she felt trapped. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, of course, you know, uh, you're going to, if you're feeling trapped under headship and authority, you're going to attack the ultimate authority in that scripture. Right. Because, it, and, and it really does go back to what you said. All of this, all of this that we're going to discuss, yes. the baseline of it is sin. Yeah, It's men overstepping their biblical bounds mm-hmm. um, because dominance was not part of the plan. That's not part of God's plan. Mm-hmm. So in taking headship too far and dominating and not actually leading, there is a difference. Right. And then it's the women's sin, the woman's sin of wanting to usurp the husband. Right. And therefore wanting to usurp God. Correct. Yeah. I, I like to, um, you know, I had to spend some time thinking about, well, where does that mentality come from? And I know it's rooted in the fall, you know, tr- and it's part of the curse. But then I was thinking the very bare necessity of it. I think it's, it's just coveting for a woman, coveting what her husband, that your, uh, uh, your, spouse your most Mm -hmm. intimate person that's you're coveting what they have Mm -hmm. and it's even more become more um about coveting power and authority and um so much so that's gone past uh insisting on being like men it's now moved on that men and women have to be exactly the same that even now women being a woman has no meaning whatsoever but we'll I mean, we're going to eventually get into that. Yeah, I know. Too. It's 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 easy to kind of slide into um, into the, all the other stuff that just tumbles into this. Yeah. So that was pretty much the first wave, um, in a nutshell. And and you know, she goes into a little bit more detail. But one of the things I like about this book, and the reason I start recommending it to people, is it gives you the overview of the waves and overview of feminism mm-hmm. without feeling like you're buried in it. Yes, I agree with that. I like that she specifically uh, goes after, I think, main women, mm-hmm. the main women and the underlying attack on scripture and God's authority from the beginning. Exactly. Exactly. So the second wave um, kind of happened and I lost the, the year, I think. Oh, yeah. I think that was when. Yeah, it was right? the, in the 20s um, after World War One. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was just a lot of despair in that. Um you can read that in literature, Ernest Hemingway, the lost generation, they call mm-hmm. themselves uh, very existential, almost nihilistic of there is no meaning to life. Mm-hmm. And then when he, this just sort of uh, rolled into various things and, and feminism was one of it, one of the pieces, uh, the, the key person in that one, and I'm going to butcher her name because I don't do French. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Simone de Beauvoir, I think is how you say it. I think you're right. <laughs> I'm going to just refer to her as Simone, so I only have to try to deal with the last name once. (laughs) Uh, But she was uh, a big deal in the feminist movement with uh, her book published in 1949 called The Second Sex. Yeah, she's a fascinating, she fascinated me. I had to go look up and watch a couple things on her. (laughs) Yeah, she, she really was. And she was, when I was doing the feminist literary criticism, obviously she was a, um, one of the main main mm-hmm. characters i i ended up no i don't there's a lot i've forgotten but the, i studied more about her than even betty Friedan. 
that oh, okay. we'll, we'll talk about. Uh, I know of the feminine mystique. I didn't read any of that where I had read bits and pieces of, of the second sex. Uh, what was very interesting about Simone is that she was in an open relationship with another philosopher, very well known at the time, mm-hmm. named Jean-Paul Sartre. They were in a, what they called an open relationship for 51 years. Yeah, back then, that was taboo. <laughs> that that was horrifying to the the, the public. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, it should be horrifying to us today, given... Right what we know and you know some feminists now even are just disgusted with her once they read a lot of her letters and and different things after she had had died but um, this open relationship non-monogamous you know just free for both Mm -hmm. but again what we find with a with a lot of these things is is the hypocrisy behind it uh as i wrote on my notes it says um that McCulley said is, ironically, for the end of her life, she, Simone, said that nothing she achieved in her professional life was as great as her relationship with Sartre. Mm-hmm. And you can read more details in the book of just that background and just how I say sordid because it's just so lost and so pitiful. McCulley is very good at trying to not get too detailed on some yeah. of these things right. um, because she doesn't want to focus on that. Right. But it it really just was pitiful. And for all this openness and all this devotion that she had to him, when he died, um, I think 1980, somewhere in there, uh, mm-hmm. he cut her out of his will completely. Right. Left his whole estate to the whatever the latest, whoever the latest mistress was. Yeah, my goodness. And yeah, just just pitiful. But mm-hmm. what pushed forward with with her writing and this book called The Second Sex is the whole idea of woman as other. Mm-hmm, right. And you will see that carry on through everything else in feminism coming down the line. And you'll mm-hmm. even see hear it in um, in race theory, the idea of other. You know, that's right. it's they've borrowed it from that. Uh, you know, her idea that we we as women are defined in reference to man and not in reference to ourselves. Right. I mean I I don't quite grasp that they despise that so much. and want to pull away from it, but they're the ones making that claim to begin with. It seems to me. Say in what way? Well, like to say um, that they're, they're trying to say like, again, it's down to this coveting something that they are lower. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are acknowledging that they are lower than a man and yet um that's something that they despise yet if i was looking at this i would never think well that i'm lower or other than a man uh and maybe i'm just misunderstanding what the other technically means it's like um, no. yeah it's just a lower class being right that because um, of the oppression, the oppression, and I'm doing using air quotes here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, because of the uh, uh, the oppression from man, the patriarchy. You hear that uh, yeah. constantly. Uh, that is why we are other, and so that's how we we look at ourselves. And I, even though I bought into this, even as a non-believer, I wasn't raised that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways it was a foreign concept. Uh, honestly, what I did find with, with feminism sometimes, and even when I look back on it, it was like, sort of like looking for trouble. Well, okay. You know? So yeah, that's kind of what I, what I like meant. I'm thinking of, you know, how, um, uh, a 
critical race theory Mm -hmm. makes you go and look at the patriarchy and now everything is centered on race. Exactly. Looking through racial eyes. So um, it's almost the same, like, okay, start talking about the patriarchy and that you are this other. And now everything that happens to you is because you are the other and not right. the head. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and it, and it goes back to victimhood that we're, that we're yeah, somehow right. a victim. And as you and I both know, as daughters of, you know, God, the father, we're just, we are human beings. You know, mm-hmm. we're not, we're not other, we're not lesser. That isn't how God made us. That's not his intention. Right. And it says right in scripture that, right. you know, it, it says right in scripture that he created us equal, equal. Mm-hmm. we have different roles and we'll get right. more into that later on. Yeah. Okay, good. Did you want to go into Betty Friedan a little bit or do you yeah. want to? Okay, go ahead. No, no. Yeah, you, I think you, you're doing a great job. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking too much. No, no, it's fine. I, like I said, the history behind it, I feel like, you know, it more understand it more because you had, you read these ladies. Yeah. And I, and I just want people to realize what, you know, and we'll get more into some of the things that have fallen apart and, and actually how the church had a hand in some of that by not standing up for certain Mm -hmm. things, but having this other um, history, I think is helpful. Betty Friedan, she's kind of considered still part of the second wave. Uh, She wrote the feminine mystique in 1963. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the second sex came to the U S and English in the fifties. I didn't write that down, but Macaulay's got it in the book. And, and Friedan is famous for saying that women were trying to live up to an ideal, which left them feeling quote, trapped, bored, and depressed. Yeah. And she founded um, several feminist uh, organizations. She co-founded Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Steinem, I went back to try to look for that and I couldn't for the life of me find the page in it. But Gloria Steinem, another mm-hmm. uh, well-known feminist. Right. I think she helped co-founded, co-found Now as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Friedan helped co-found uh, NARL, N-A-R-A-L, which is dealing with abortion rights. Mm-hmm, right. And she also helped co-found the National Women's Political Caucus. So in her mind, activism was the way to go. Yep. Her hypocrisy was she vilified marriage. She ended up divorced, um, bad-mouthed her ex-husband to the point that, you know, she intimated that he hit her and then later backed off on that. Made I couldn't even imagine what this, <laughs> before yeah. the Me Too movement, I felt <laughs> bad for what he had to deal with yeah but why she vilified while she vilified marriage later in her life she'd had children i think she had four children might be wrong on that quite a few grandchildren later she said she believes in marriage intimacy and family she said that they have value and she hoped that her grandchildren would marry and have children what a turn (laughs) i know i know it's like what what happens there but again it's and she didn't even do it she she died not that long ago, re- and relatively speaking. Um, but just that hopelessness of all of it. Right. I mean, to me, it's it's not looking at the hypocrisy at waving my finger and saying, "See, you guys are hypocrites." What I look at it with the hypocrisy is just how pitiful it is. Yeah, that it's sad, saddening that uh, they actually realized some truth. Mm-hmm. There came to some understanding about the the role and importance of a woman, especially mm-hmm. in the home um, and just all around her work in general and society is just so important. And then they they fight against it 
instead of honoring it and glorifying mm-hmm. it in a way mm-hmm. um, to only and come I, around. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I definitely see it, especially with Friedan and her, her saying that she believes in marriage, intimacy, and family. You think of Romans 1. Mm, right. You know, the Lord has put the world out there that he created, and we have this inside us. We just choose to deny it. Right and shake our fist at it, mm-hmm. but it's there. Mm-hmm. And right. so that that's kind of, of how I see that. What I saw is an overall irony in this progression. And this is, this is a, a generalization and maybe an oversimplification, but mm-hmm. even McCulley mentioned it or McCulley did mention it. So I, I picked up on it right. was first you have Abigail Adams, who was not a feminist, mm-hmm. but she wanted uh, rights, full rights for female citizens. Right. new country, let them be able to vote. You know, they're part of the economy, right? Uh, you know, working alongside their husband. So uh, she felt full rights for female citizens. Elizabeth Cady Stanton, suffrage and reform and marriage laws, mm-hmm. quite legitimate. You know, again, she took mm-hmm. it too far, but you know, in that piece, by the time we get to Friedan, mm-hmm. I think I'm saying her name correctly, it all has to do with boredom. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing awful's happening around, but women were bored with home, husband, and children. Yeah. And in fact, I, I find that interesting. Her timing, you know, writing The Feminine Mystique around 1963, we're looking at uh, sometime after what we're going to talk about, uh, the golden domis- dom- golden age of domesticity, which, yes, yeah, I never right. say domesticity right twice. Right, yeah. <laughs> So, um, so, and it's, it's funny because, um, Macaulay goes, not funny. It's very interesting that Macaulay points out what's going on during the history and, uh, this golden age. And then you have your, uh, it's, it's, is it during or after the industrial revolution? They're kind of blended. I was trying to figure out if there was a line of delineation and there's really not kind of like a lot of things in history. Right. And then at that point, uh, it's after um, um, the golden age, you start to see the home is changed. It's no longer about uh, work out of the home. It's work in the industrial complex. And so Mm -hmm. the home becomes very self-centered and and just you're not they uh, of course, if you're not a Christian, you're not going to look at the home as a place to minister to your family. It's right. just a place to, you know, satisfy your uh, needs and your comforts and stuff like that. And so you're not doing anything special to society. No. And, and, and that's devalued by society uh-huh. because everything is about what does it, what value does it add to the marketplace? Correct. What right. value does it actual monetary value does it give to the economy as a whole? Right. And what was seen by society and feminists is that the women in the home added no value. value. Right. Right. That's that's where we see starting to have a lot more problems. I mean, there was problems oh, absolutely. That, a lot more, and, and I think that's where we start to see problems come into the church. Which yes. I think is an issue. OK, yes. so so let's talk. Tell me about the uh, third wave then too. third wave. Um, we'll probably hit more of that because there, there's not a, um, a solid line on the third wave as I was trying to. She ends up then blending it into uh, a later chapter. It's not as well documented, but mm-hmm. you can see it in pop culture. Mm-hmm. And it's also called raunch culture mm-hmm. um, as McCulley noted, and actually as what some feminists had noted, not believers, 
is women making horribly wrong choices, quote unquote, in the name of sexual liberation. Mm-hmm. So it was really in, in this time and you saw it in the 20s. So like, again, like a lot of things, history tends to blend, you know, during the roaring 20s, um, you know, this idea of sexual liberation was there, mm-hmm. but it wasn't in your face. Right. Um, by now, we're talking about early 1990s. You've got TV, you've got videos, um, you know, the whole social media thing is starting to, to come about. The sexual revolution is already taking place in the 60s, 70s, right? Exactly. That's exactly it. So women now decide that the way to empower themselves is to literally reveal themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the example she uses is a video that was wildly popular i remember when it was was on i never watched them i yeah, used to no, just I, everybody's probably heard out of, of them the girls gone wild girls <laughs> gone wild and yeah. uh yeah and what as i say it was essentially free porn mm-hmm. yeah mccullough that's my word <laughs> mccullies i'm pretty sure right but i just remember that and women were considered empowered if they were in any type of the sex trade yeah and they still are now now because you know they're still trying to make it uh, legal, right? Well, th- there for some- a long time, it was, you know, well, women were going into the sex trade, whether it was um, pornography in magazines or movies or then the internet, mm. uh, prostitution, that they were doing this of their own volition, um, that they had the, all the power behind in doing this. In some cases, that's true. Mm. But as I think we've seen, there's been a backlash on that, because remember, this was written in 2008 mm-hmm. uh, or published in 2008. There has been a backlash in that in where society now sees that a lot of times women aren't going into these areas willingly. Mm-hmm. Um, th- right. th- you know, and that's a whole topic unto itself. Right. But yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Human trafficking, uh, domestic abuse, um, just women feeling trapped and forced into to these and yeah, I can attest to that. I, I helped out with a, a ministry when we were in Kentucky and, you know, I saw some of that stuff firsthand. So um, it's no joke. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's a really bad scene and there's, there's no empowerment to it. Right. Mm-hmm. There right. really isn't, uh, but it's all out there. I mean, and, and marketing just lands right in. I mean, good grief, the commercials you see oh, now. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can't even get into detail because it's so disgusting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's marketing to young girls. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you see it with, I mean, little girls, six-year-olds where, you know, they're marketing bras or marketing high heels, mm-hmm. um, you know, bikinis. It's, it's just ridiculous, but we're empowered. Right. Somehow we're empowered with all of that. And we're supposedly empowering our daughters with that from the get-go. And they don't even see that it's a lie. It's, it, well... <laughs> Here's one of those things, too, that I think about um, that we're getting into modesty and mm-hmm. um, and talking about just modesty doesn't even exist anymore. There's it. It's almost seen as if you are a modest girl, uh, a young teenage, and you're modest, not only in character, but you're modest in dress. You are seen as like you're right like you're not empowered like you you don't uh have i don't want to say don't have value but 
Well, you're uh, stuffy and what, what do you, yeah, yeah what's legalistic or yes. I mean, among the Christian community, that's, that's the way it is. And um, so this is a very hot topic mm-hmm. about um, the way women present themselves so freely. Now it's even worse on social media, right? Because, oh yeah. Um, wasn't there, I don't know if you know, there was uh, not too long ago, several months ago, early on in the year, there was a uh, explosion because a, a Christian brother said, you know, hey, ladies, you don't need to show off yourself in a bikini, uh, practically naked, even if you're pregnant or you're trying to show off your weight loss. I mean, these are things that you don't need to do. It'd be mm-hmm. one thing to no, it's not even one thing. Like back in my day, maybe you'd show a picture to a friend or two and say, Hey, mm-hmm. look, this is my before and after after. And now it's right. like, I'll tell the in to the open, not saying that sharing my picture, I'd never did that. But I'm just saying, if no, I agree. That, it's, it's know. just, it's considered the norm and people don't even think twice about it. Um, I remember when Anthony and I were uh, part of Weight Watchers, and it was, you know, you had the, the app and, you know, part of the app was this attaboy kind of, you know, um, encouraging one another in weight loss. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think anything about it. That's the whole female mindset uh-huh. until Anth brought it to my mind that he, he said, yeah, I can't even look at that. He says, because like you said, women are showing before and after pictures and they're in their underwear. He right. says, I don't need to see that. Right. It's right. like, well, that's true. Right. Well, that's but I kinda, believed all this stuff. Right. Well, and I don't know if that's a like a failure and uh, women kind of understanding that, you know, men are wired differently, that we've started to believe that we're the same. We women just don't. I mean, we have our lusts with we're sinful creatures too. looking mm-hmm. at a, um, a body and being attracted to it as and it's lust, but we're not like a man is it's right. not, it's not the same. And so, um, part of respecting it and being modest is understanding that there's, uh, like she even talks about brains are pretty much the same, but what does she say that they're just, um, they're just, uh, why or take in information differently? Yes, take in information differently. We're still we're we're both of equal intelligence, right? Um, it's just how we process things and how we do things are different, right? And you know, before I was saved, I I fully I couldn't understand why I couldn't communicate with men well because I thought that we would communicate the same. That uh-huh. if if I just tried hard enough, this guy was going to think the same way I thought. Right. And I was going to understand how he thought and did things. And it took forever for me to realize that ain't how it works yeah. because that's not how God wired us. Right. And and coming in, if, if, if young adults realize this, grow up understanding that men and women are wired differently. They, uh, you know, they're more sensitive to uh, images, images. Yeah. And then we are, and, communication is different if we understand mm-hmm. this instead of trying to make everybody all the same men and females all the same that can eliminate quite a bit of problems in marriage <laughs> absolutely so, oh yeah so, it would it would help so, so much with communication and one thing i want to say too for for those who are listening and it doesn't matter age i was thinking even some of the young women but it, all of us 
and and I struggled with this too, this whole idea of modesty. It doesn't mean that you don't try to look nice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, single girls, single ladies, whatever terminology you want me to use. You can still look nice. That's not the point. It's the point is what are you focused on in looking Mm -hmm. nice? You don't have to be frumpy. You don't have to be dowdy. You can look nice for your husband. You can just look nice in general because, you know, it's part of what makes us feel good. You know, Mm -hmm. got a good hair day going, those kinds of things. There's nothing wrong with that. But as John MacArthur said in in a little pamphlet he's got on modesty, it's like, what is, what is your heart? What is your mindset? Mm -hmm. Are you trying to make the attention all on you? Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to make that attention on you, what part of you are you trying to Right. You know, what, what do you to. want mm-hmm. them to look at them, right. obviously, meaning men or even women, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as far as, um, I don't know, inspiring jealousy, envy, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's it right. really what like anything else in life and anything else in your Christian life is what what's your heart motive? Right. Exactly. Behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we say modest, ladies, we're not talking, you know, dressing. Dress. Yeah. Neck, yeah, yeah. neck yeah. to ankles kind of thing. Burka and right, <laughs> right. That is right. definitely not what we're talking about. But there is definitely a different mindset from when I was a non-believer and bought into the lie that exposing myself was somehow powerful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and didn't make me any more powerful. If anything, mm-hmm. it made me more vulnerable, and I just didn't want to admit that. Yeah, yeah. There, I think that's um, something people don't think about. You, you might feel like you have power because you can control uh, a man for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. But the respect, you're basically uh, giving up respect Absolutely. for power for a short time. Absolutely. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So, so yeah. you know, as far as we're, you know, and even in what we talk about with this branch culture, you know, people want to blame, well, it's the men, you know, it's the men that's creating this content. And the one person that uh, Macaulay was quoting, who is a non-believer feminist, mm-hmm. she found out that, no, it wasn't the men that were all creating this content. There are women behind creating this content. Right. This blew me away. This part when, I, when she re- talked about, you know, Hugh Hefner and Playboy and, uh, and to find His out that daughter. The, yeah, that the women were behind most of it for mm-hmm. so long. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I know. I think I had heard that Hefner's daughter was in charge, but I didn't realize how many other women were in in higher, uh, higher roles within that that corporation, which is really what it is. It was definitely a corporation. Right. Um, And what we see with third wave that we'll get into more in our, our next time is that it really had the goals spoken or otherwise of eliminating marriage and eliminating biology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you really see that come out. I mean, it's and and the result is uh, what well, we we live with the result. It's absolutely they've done exactly what they wanted to do mm-hmm. and are still not satisfied with it, though. No, not satisfied, so. <laughs> no, not at not at all. I like what you have in your notes here uh, towards the end. You, you say bottom line, it's a spiritual battle. Mm-hmm. It's yep. a spiritual battle battle within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's definitely a spiritual battle in the world. Correct. Right. Um, I had in my notes, and of course, I've got to find them now, um, that feminism itself, uh, the verse that I was thinking of 
um, or she actually quotes, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 6, 12 that she quoted. And my note was here is, yeah, feminism is most definitely a cosmic power that rules this dark age. Um, it is a spiritual force of evil that invades the heavenly places. It invades the church. It mm-hmm. has invaded the church. And I think I'll be, I mean, there's other things at play here, but I definitely think that feminism has a huge role, even in critical theory and oh, uh, absolutely. Which leads to critical race theory. Um, so it's just, if you start to, do your research, look who's behind and who uh, the writings and who's connected with who you start to really see the tendrils and they're all just mm-hmm. in this. I hate to, I don't hate to say it. It's true. It's just a cesspool of mm-hmm. evil um, cosmic power. That's that we have to wrestle with and deal with. <laughs> And and I want to emphasize, too, that as you and I are discussing this, the reason that, that this resonated for both of us is that it's all about discernment. It's why you started your podcast, Thoroughly Equipped. Yeah. We have a responsibility as believers and as women believers to be discerning. So it's not us bashing the culture mm-hmm. or saying this person or that person is bad. Um, it is bad. But what what we want to put out there is that you need to open your eyes and be aware. Right. I mean, I spent 40 years, you know, I was 42 buying into all of this. Yeah. And it's the loneliest thing you could possibly be into if you really stop and admit to it. Mm -hmm. And I just don't want to see others get wrapped up in that. And I really hate to see it in the church yeah, because it's all moving away from scripture. And I had to fight tooth and nail for myself in my own spiritual battle, in my own selfishness and wicked heart to embrace scripture and to understand that it was God breathed. It is God's word. Right. Right. And it drives me crazy when people move away from that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I just uh, going back to it, this, it, it really ties together with what you said or what even Ms. Macaulay stated right in the very beginning that it's sin, right? That it, mm-hmm. it was uh, started man, fear of man sinning, or yes, men were sinning uh, right. against women, and yet women respond by sinning back instead of, um, instead of, holding on to God's word. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, what is she quotes here? Or it's, it was always from the very beginning work working to undermine the authority of God. She quotes um, on page 60, every one of us is prone to agree with Satan's character assassination of God. We often chafe at the good boundaries God has given us. We are easily tempted to think the worst of God. So down Mm -hmm. in the very, very root, you know, we Mm -hmm. might hold authority, say this is the authority, God's word is the authority, and we submit to the authority. But uh, the very, very bottom is a lack of faith, period. 
and sure. God being good. Absolutely. And and if all of us as believers think about it, when we, we hit a trial, and I'm, I battle this all the time, um, when things go south, it's a battle to not say, Lord, why? I mean, we can ask the Lord why. That, let me back up on that. Right. We're allowed to ask the Lord why. We're allowed to lament. Mm-hmm bad things that are going on at us or around us. Um, but we're not allowed to, to shake our fist at God and say, how dare you? Right. As if we knew better. Right. right. Exactly. Because we don't see the cosmic picture. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's a good segue into the next portion that we have on our notes is about submission and really yes, um, what submission is in, in the way um, she talks about e- Ephesians 5. She brings up that, um, and we'll get into that um, in a bit. But I was thinking right off the bat in connection with what you just said and how it's um, we're not shaking our fists at God and we don't know the co- uh, cosmic picture. And it is really essentially about faith. Uh, I immediately go to the Proverbs 31 women where she la- she laughs. Um, mm-hmm. the days ahead, she's without fear because she knows who her God is and she trusts in him. And so it makes it so, um, then she can submit to a husband, um, because she's submitting to whatever God has placed in her life. Exactly. In him. Uh, that was where that was a big eye opening for me because I really struggled with submission. Um, it was always, it was always this where, okay, I understood Ephesians 5 and I understood that the man's role to be a head and be a leader is a heavy weight. And it's, you know, he has to uh, submit to Christ by leading and laying down his life for his family. Mm-hmm. But I was always like, well, he's not doing that. So <laughs> I'm not going to submit if he's not doing that. Right. And um, it was... uh what is it? Second Peter, first Peter. I had it written down um, in my own notes that talks about submitting first Peter three, two it talks about submitting even to an unbelieving husband or a, a husband that is disobedient. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I was just like, okay, my submission is not about whether or not he's obedient. My submission is about my trust in Christ, my trust in God, the father taking care and sanctifying me through whatever trials, you know, anyway. So I just thought, I'm glad she brought that up. Um, no, I think that's, that's a good point. And I, I think like you, I, I struggled with that. Um, I struggled with that even in premarital counseling at 45 years old mm-hmm. um, because of the background that I had, mm-hmm. you know, the whole idea of trust, honor, or honor, trust, honor, and obey, mm-hmm. um, or however the thing is, it was the obey that was, you know, and I had to have this discussion with the pastor at the time on that one. And, yeah, that's when he pointed out the other part of Ephesians 5, that's the much weightier issue. Right. Now, knowing that in my head and living that out as a wife, whole, whole big different thing. How's that for great? Yeah. English, <laughs> especially when, you know, there, there are going to be times that even if you have a husband who's a godly man and is in the word um, and, and wants to lead well, there's going to time be times he's not. Yeah. Just as right. there's times I'm not submitting right or well, there's times he's not going to lead well. 
But it's exactly like you said. It's my job is to be obedient to Christ and and to God. Um, And then pray the rest of it comes along. And he honors that. And he gives grace. Yeah. And and she she has a good uh, quote in regards to just that. She says on page 64, let's be honest, submitting to and respecting a husband who leads and loves like Christ is the easier of the two two roles, but in reality, no human husband ever perfectly fulfills those commands. That leaves a wife with the challenge of respecting and submitting to a flawed husband, a fact that surely didn't escape the Holy Spirit's notice when he inspired these verses. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And in regards to that, there's another quote that I loved uh, and I might as well um, bring that up now because it's in connection to it. I'm trying to f- find it. Um, and it's kind of long. Do you mind if I read it? Yeah, please do. Okay. So it's um, it's on page. Where, where did I? Page 89. She, she says, though every wife has a married man with a unique background and gifts and personality, every wife has one thing in common. Her husband is an imperfect man. No woman has a spouse who never gives her reason for legitimate complaint. This presents you with a spiritual challenge. You'll have to fight the natural human tendency to obsess over your husband's weaknesses. That was me, by the way. And <laughs> I, I highlighted that exact same thing. Did you? <laughs> yep. Yeah. I think it's probably every wife. Um, so when you urge, uh, when I urge you to affirm your husband's strengths, I'm not minimizing his many weaknesses. I'm just encouraging you to make the daily spiritual choice of focusing on qualities for which you feel thankful. The time will come when you can address the weaknesses after you've established a firm foundation of love and encouragement. For now, you must make a conscious choice to give thanks for his strengths. I have found Philippians 4, 8 as a relevant as relevant for marriage as it is for life. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Observing your husband's weaknesses won't make them go away. You may have done that for years, and if so, what has it gotten you besides more of the same? Leslie Vernick Lawrence, regular thinking negatively, Regularly thinking negatively about your husband increases your dissatisfaction with him and your marriage. How that is incredibly too. I mean, it's such a simple statement, but it's so true. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, affirming your husband's strengths, however, will likely reinforce and build up those areas you cherish and motivate him to pursue excellence of character and other. Now, talk about power. What amount mm-hmm. of power do we have to influence? The, one of the most per- important people in our lives. And, Absolutely. And just by, yep. Just by honoring them, you know, honoring right. her husband and respecting him and verbalizing that honor and respect. Right. Uh, we don't understand. It's not just, we don't need to wield power just by the way we look, but use our words and our encouragement as well. Mm-hmm. Um, continuing on, she says, guys rise to praise. When someone compliments us, we want to keep that person's positive opinion intact. Oh, this isn't McCulley quoting. Um, That's you, right, Gary Thomas. Y- yes, thank you. Um, but she's quote, she's using his quote. We love how it feels when our wives respect us. We get a rush like nothing when 
like nothing else, when we hear her praise or see that look of awe in her eyes, and we will all but travel the ends of the earth to keep it coming. At the beginning of this chapter, I use, oh, sorry, that's the end of his quote. So now Mm -hmm. it's Macaulay speaking. At the beginning of this chapter, I use the analogy of a fellow paddler in a white water raft for a wife's role. It takes a lot of strength to paddle in turbulent water and stay in the boat. In marriage, it's a, it takes a lot of strength of character to be a helpmate, as the Bible describes it, and not bail on the marriage. But you're not doing it alone or in your own strength. Never forget that the encouragement, correction, submission, honor, respect, and appreciation that you give your husband each day are lavishly supplied by the one who is also your help helper. That's mm-hmm. the end of the quote. Uh, that was just... That was beautiful because I was, I think I was probably reading this and dealing with girlfriends who um, just tend to put down their husbands, always complain about the way the husbands treat them. And Mm -hmm. I can sympathize, you know, I understand. I I don't have the perfect uh, spouse either. So I, I understand that complaining sometimes help us feel better and knowing that we have girlfriends who can relate and all this thing. But then I was thinking, well, but if that's constantly what you're doing, you're never going about going, well, wait a second. My husband, like he did the dishes today <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or he went to work and provided, provided for, for the today. family. Yeah. Yep. Did what he does without complaint. Um, you know, it, it, or complaint in regards to working and, and stuff like that. And so it's, it was just like a good reminder for me to be like, you know what, this is where I can help my girlfriends out and start saying, look, let's, let's start talking good. Let's start thinking about the good things Mm -hmm. that our husbands do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then this goes into the other uh, note that you said on your notes about um, being a helper, being a helper. And, but one thing I want to also say too, is that for um, our single friends, Oh, good point. Our, our yeah. single lady friends don't tune out right now um, when we're talking about submission, uh, because whether you realize it or not, feminism has influenced what and how you think about relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if you watch TV, you watch movies, you interact with or on social media at all, it's all there. And so you need to have this information if the Lord chooses to provide a husband for you at some point down the road. Right. But also, even if the Lord chooses to not provide a husband for you, um, that, you know, that isn't what's going to happen. You still need to learn to think biblically because you're going to run into the girlfriends who are going to want to complain about their husband uh, or being married or whatever aspect of that is. And you need to be discerning and you need to be well-versed in scripture and what God says about these relationships so that you can biblically counsel. Yeah, because we're all supposed to be able to do that. I was going to say, I think the single, uh, especially the older single women being outside of marriage, because we women can think we're not going to excuse you and say, oh, you don't know because you're not married. No, it's actually you have a a view that you can see from outside because we sometimes are we have our wife lenses on. Yes, we don't get to we don't see um, the other side. So a a single um, woman or a friend who's single can 
kind of level that out and be like, well, have you thought about his side? Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't te- technically, oh, sorry. She doesn't technically take sides. Uh, why, right. You know, that's kind of why we feed off each other. Mm-hmm. Complaining. That's exactly it. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it really is important whether you're, you're single or married and, you know, and the other thing that you have to remember, everybody, every woman's got to remember as far as submission is concerned, we submit to our husbands. We obviously submit to authority, mm-hmm. um, you know, within the church and whatnot. Submission doesn't mean that because I'm female, I have to submit to every male that's out there. That's Correct. not, right. not biblical. So, right. um, and you started to say something before, before I jumped into that. No, no, I don't remember okay. what it was. It was uh, getting onto the helper and... It kind of falls into, well, not, not kind of, it falls a little <laughs> bit into line, um, still under the submission. You made, uh, you noted here that you are a helpmate to your husband, how important that is to be called a helper. And he mentions it, uh, the gentleman who we just quoted mm-hmm. about being a helper. Um, yeah, because um, when the Lord provides a husband to us, um, I'm a helpmate to my husband. And, you know, in Genesis, I will make a helper fit for him. Right. Uh, that means coming alongside equal, but different in ways in which we complement each other. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, what feminism has done is they have equated roles as worth. Mm-hmm. So I'm equal to my husband. Men and women are equal to one another. That's how God made us right but my role is different than my husband's role and it goes back to the the whole idea of the study that was done that uh there's no difference in iq or intelligence Mm -hmm. uh, but our brains as men and women function and process differently Mm -hmm. so we are designed to function differently and if you think about it in an orderly world in which god created because he is the god of order not of chaos Right. He is now meshed and made as a complement to one another, how a man's brain and a woman's brain works. And that's why we can be helpmates. Mm-hmm. I'm right. gesturing here like yeah. your people are going to see that. But anyhow, <laughs> I can't help but not. <laughs> they can use their imagination. <laughs> they can. Just want, think of my arms flailing around. That's kind of what I do. Not really. They 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 were more meshed. <laughs> well, that's mesh. true. I was doing like the whole, you know, here's the church. Here's the, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> It's kind of like that. Yeah, kind of like that. <laughs> well, I mean, because it's like Christ and the church is marriage, you know? <laughs> it, well, hey, oh, good. Very good. You saved that one. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Somebody but can our, make our a point, poem. <laughs> yeah. But what our point was is that roles do not equate worth. We yeah. are of equal worth. Right. And that's, and that's what, what feminism will, will try to tear apart. Right. And I think they start a uh, part of me and I'm, I'm just guessing, but it's like coveting. They're just coveting mm-hmm. the roles mm-hmm. because they don't understand the value of a woman. It, it, it just, I guess it blows my mind now um, knowing just how beautiful womanhood is in the Bible. It mm-hmm. is such an honor to be a woman um, and to be a, uh, a godly woman, especially she's the Proverbs 31 woman. Is Absolutely. Just a powerful woman. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, but yeah. Well, and look at, um, you know, wisdom in Proverbs is personified as a woman. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, 
Jesus was, you know, he treated women, he allowed women to, to follow him and, and they were part of his disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he valued women and mm-hmm. God of the Old Testament did as well. I mean, if you really, if you really read the Bible right. and that's the key, reading the Bible, <laughs> that's important. Um, it is, <laughs> yeah. and not just cherry picking, you right. will see that. Right. And believe me, I'm one of the people that didn't want to see that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so uh, but it really is. It's two sinners living under one roof. Yeah, you know, and as yeah. as you and I have even have discussed, yep, th- things are going to clash, and you're going to have to work it out. And that's yep. that's why Scripture is there for us. And you know what I've learned over the years of marriage, and I'm sure you have too, is that when I show respect to my husband and for the decisions he makes, even if they end up being the wrong decisions, mm-hmm. that's still strengthening the marriage. Right. And it's still respecting and honoring my husband and who he is as God made him. Right. Do I pray for improvements for him, you know, in Mm -hmm. in godliness and in leadership? Of course I do. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure he prays for me for ways for me to improve and submit, which I have definitely had to do over the years. (laughs) Well, we know your husband's a righteous man because his prayers have been answered. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, he'll get a kick out of that one. (laughs) Only because of Christ. Just saying. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Oh, that's too funny. I love it. Um, But just one more thing on this one is on page 84, she had a a quote that leadership is not about filling a position for one's own glory, but for serving God's gospel purposes. Yeah, I loved that quote. I did because it, it puts the leadership where it belongs, uh-huh. which is with Christ. Because mm-hmm. again, there's women that are going to think, well, I'm, you know, I have leadership qualities. We can have leadership qualities, but that doesn't make you the leader. Right. Right. If that makes sense. Right. And, and not only that, I think what's fascinating is uh, the goal of submission has the same purpose, the gospel, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so it's like leadership, they lead about serving God and, and, um, uh, um, expanding on or the gospel, giving the mm-hmm. gospel, but so submission is, is all you submit because of the gospel for the gospel. Exactly. Um, it's, it's just beautiful the way, um, that is, and I didn't see that it was submitting to, uh, just because I was told to, after. right. That's really what it was. Sure. Um, sure. As a early, um, a mar- married early and then reading the Bible and then being like, Oh, okay. God called me to submit. I better <laughs> obey. And now I find that like, again, I can't keep going back to first Peter that the meek and quiet spirit can win a husband over. And that means, okay, it's about my, my submission to him is an example to him, a gospel example to him. And mm-hmm. that helps sanctify him. Mm-hmm. I don't know how God does it because it right. doesn't make sense to me. No, of <laughs> course, know? of course. But it's but the, beautiful. You know, oh, it really is. And it, it really does mirror that we're submitting to Christ and our husbands have to submit to Christ. Uh-huh. So they've got their own submission. And actually, I'm, we can't get into it, but even at the beginning of that chapter in Ephesians, or maybe mm-hmm. earlier on in Ephesians, but um, Paul really talks about submitting to one another mm-hmm. 
in Christ. Right. So these are just sort of the some of the subheadings. Uh, it's the way it's played out for these roles: the authority, right. the government, the husband, the wife, the um, children, master and the servant. Oh yeah, and yeah, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, yeah, exactly, master and servant for our our roles in the workplace. So mm-hmm. um, it really is a beautiful thing, and it works. Again, it's God's order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his orderliness and it works. You know? Yep. You can't do anything but praise God when you see uh, it work in your marriage, really. You, it builds your faith. It, it really does. Yeah. It, it has me. with me. Oh, yeah. I mean, but you have to be open to it. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to. I mean, I remember one particular time it was like, Lord, change his heart. Lord, change his heart on this one particular issue. Please change his heart. I finally had to turn around after a few weeks and say, okay, Lord, change my heart. Yeah. If I'm wrong, if this is, if this is not the direction you want, please change my heart. Right. And in this particular case, that's what had to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but he's also done the same for Anth yeah. where he's yeah. changed his heart on things. So yeah. it's all about, it's all about God and his glory and his yeah. honor. Yeah. And in the end, we'll all see how it all worked out anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. I'm loving so, it. So, yeah, I think we, I think that was good for part one. <laughs> yeah. The next part will be just as interesting. We'll get into yes. even more history, but more looking at, I think, the, uh, the environment. And like we looked at feminism, mm-hmm. but now she gets into how the home is affected. And that's an interesting one to me. That's fascinating. There, there were, there are parts of that that I had no idea about. So yeah, it, me, me too. Yeah. And the impact <laughs> we're feeling it now. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that should be an interesting conversation. So very much people want to turn it, tune in. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> this is All fun. Right. It always is. It's always fun with you, Amy. <laughs> I, I enjoy I our conversations. I know we can talk forever. <laughs> That's okay. We're going to have another forever talk. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, this is good. All right. Well, until next time then. uh, Take care all. Yeah. Bye. (laughs) Well, ladies, I hope that was as interesting to listen to as it was to talk about. And until next time, I pray you are growing in your faith through the knowledge and understanding of Christ, our Lord and Savior. I pray that you are in his word. Ladies, if you are interested in the transcript for this episode, you can go to ttew.org. You can find other great resources, articles, blogs, and videos that may bless you in your Christian walk, as well as links to follow me on social media. If you wish to contact me, you can email me at thoroughlyequipped316 at gmail.com. Again, the website address is ttew.org. Thoroughly Equipped is part of Striving for Eternity's Christian podcast community. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity by assisting Christians to have an eternal perspective on life. They strive to bring evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and Christian living together for the purpose of eternal preparation by exalting God, edifying and equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost. They provide speakers, online articles, online courses, 
books, podcasts, and other theological resources, all centered on God's Word. To find out more, go to strivingforeternity.org. And to listen to other podcasts, go to podcast.strivingforeternity.org. I pray that their resources bless you as they have blessed me as we live our lives day by day, praising and glorifying God. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.